Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Medical Memoirs podcast. I think it's probably fair to say that my next guest was a true enigma to me prior to recording this episode. After all, unbeknownst to many, Miss Zara Jaffrey ranked number one in the UK for her ST3 application to trauma and orthopaedic surgery and attained a place on the coveted Percival Pot rotation, which is a truly phenomenal feat. With such a remarkable achievement under her belt, I wasn't entirely sure who to expect on the other side of the call. However, as we chatted throughout this interview, it became blindingly obvious that Zara is an incredibly accomplished yet indisputably humble person. She works hard with zeal and consistency and demonstrates a palpable passion for orthopaedic surgery. We meander through Zara's journey, discussing her career trajectory to date, how she achieved her various successes, and delve in-depth into the topics of race, gender, and family balance in a surgical career. In actual fact, we recorded this episode several months back, and since then, Zara has progressed to her SD4 year and arguably more importantly, has welcomed a new addition to her family in the form of a little baby, which deserves a big congratulations. So without any further ado, my name is Vasudev Zaver, and I'd like to welcome you to another excellent medical memoir. Great. Uh, So Zara, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you. Um, Can you tell us um, a little bit about yourself, first of all, to to kickstart things? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm an ST3 trauma and orthopaedics trainee on uh, the Percival Pot training rotation. I'm currently working at the Royal London Hospital um, and I will be actually when it comes to ST4 as well. Um, but just things outside of work. Um, uh, I like spending a lot of time with family, as I think a lot of people know that about me already. Um, but also I like um, just sort of getting involved with a lot of teaching which is another way a lot of people have found out about me now as well um so you know I do try and stay busy but um it's not always work I do try and balance it out sometimes fair enough um what's it actually like working in in London then as as an as a you know real life orthopedic reg um so actually it's the first time I've worked in a big trauma center yeah, within trauma and orthopedics so it's it's been it's been very interesting uh, the, the types of things you see here are completely different to the things you see in a district general hospital where I had been working um, as a core trainee and before that so it's it's definitely a big difference but I think it's a good place to start you know really get into the deep end of things um, and you learn so much yeah absolutely it's it sounds it sounds like it it, it can be quite intense because I'm um sort of at a major, major trauma center in Manchester at the minute and um and it's just a different world isn't it it's just weird yeah definitely I mean I remember my first on call and um we had there, there was a major incident where we had um five casualties coming from one accident um and all of them had orthopedics uh, orthopedic type injuries um and so I was a little bit lost, but actually, because the A&E department is so, so good, they kind of helped triage and I was okay. But um, uh, yeah, uh, I'd go back to just saying you're definitely in the deep end, but it, it's great. Yeah, it, it, I suppose it's good experience, isn't it? And and uh, uh, you're lucky in in terms of having a good A&E department. I think, uh, I don't know, I can't speak for all major trauma centres, but certainly similar kind of where I'm working, it's, it's nice to have 
an emergency department that that complements sort of the uh, the stuff that's coming through the door and um and you can work with you know it really does help um you, it sounds like you're pretty busy on that on call though if all five of them were uh, orthopedic injuries <laughs> oh yeah i mean that was only just one incident as well it just carried on throughout the day so it was brilliant <laughs> wow nice <laughs> um, so so what's your journey been um to to the point where you are now how have you sort of you know got to um being an st3 in, in ortho um, well, it, it's been quite a straightforward one, I'd say, because I've been a little bit tunnel visioned about doing orthopedics right from the start. Um, so uh, I got into medicine quite early on. I know I'd always wanted to do it. And then uh, my work experience was also the first work experience I'd had in hospital involved being in an orthopedics list. And that was at the age of 16. So I, I kind of had an idea this is something I'd like to do later on uh, and then everything from that point kind of just kept me going within that field um, the only kind of break I took was at, at, uh, at the end of foundation training so an F3 is what people call it um, and that was really just to, to take some time out um, and build my CV a little bit um, it was really because I, I wasn't sure whether I'd be staying in this country or moving to New York but in the end we oh, ended wow. up staying anyway <laughs> so um yeah so I think that was uh, that was quite a good thing and um it kind of just reaffirmed having that break kind of reaffirmed mm. what I wanted to do later on and I think it's important to do it especially if you are about to embark on a big decision um taking yeah. a step back is sometimes really helpful yeah no absolutely and and i think that's that's the thing isn't it because if you're i mean in your case it sounds like you weren't you know completely unsure at any point but say if if i imagine if someone was quite unsure then taking that time and just being just reevaluating things really helps um and you know like i said just realign everything and just be like yeah this is definitely it or i suppose sometimes definitely not it and you can go down somewhere else but it sounds kind of like a sort of you know healthy point to to almost give your mind a bit of a break sort of thing um and yeah think about stuff i think the the, the new york thing sounds amazing though How, what, what was what was oh, that kind yeah, of yeah so actually i i've never wanted to ever leave the uk but it was because i'd gotten married and my husband was working there for uh he, he had a contract there for a further year um but okay. he ended up quitting his job because he also missed the uk and so i'd taken a year out from, well for no reason i say but actually it was really useful to take it anyway um, yeah. by the time he decided he wanted to come back um i'd already missed the application deadline so oh, I, I applied to be a simulation fellow that year and actually it was so much fun and I actually got to um, I got to get into teaching which I love doing um, I got an extra qualification in teaching that year to got to work on some publications and it was really great for CV building but also it was um, it was a nice nine to five job as well no one calls and so you, I, I got to have quite a nice life for that one year yeah <laughs> um, no yeah that's, that sounds amazing actually um, how did you actually get into it because it sounds sounds like a really cool job um, so I Actually, what happens is um, all of these sort of fellowship opportunities come up um, after the application deadlines. So I guess from about March uh, to mm -hmm. May or June, you start if you start Googling NHS jobs or teaching fellowships or anything else, then a lot of these jobs start coming up because I, I guess people now know that 
um, you know, a lot of people don't get into their the, the jobs that they want to or want to take a year out or only want to be working for a few months in that year and then travel for the rest of it. And mm. um, so that's why I guess they've created these jobs to help um, not only with service provision, but also give um, give people the opportunity to build their CV like I did. Um, so all of these jobs start start cropping up. And so um, yeah, I'd only just Googled it and it'd come up. Um, and then I'd spoken to someone who had done it previously just by getting in touch with the programme organisers. And uh, then it was an interview and then um, it was it was quite simple, actually. It's, it's a, maybe a 10 minute interview after you filled in a quick application form and that was it. Nice. OK, so fairly, fairly straightforward then. Yeah. Um, and do you think it sort of set you up quite nicely for the uh, ST3? Uh, sorry, no. This was this was before. Um, yeah, so training, it was it? just so, yeah between foundation and core. That's it. Yeah. Do Do you feel like it it set you up quite nicely for uh, CST, or do you feel like you were already ready? You know, FT coming into you could have just gone straight into CST quite happily, but this was just a I, bit of extra stuff. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could have applied beforehand, I think. But mm. actually, I, I got so many extra points that year um, just from the teaching qualification and uh, a couple of extra presentations and publications that I had that extra year to work on. Um, I'd also done part of my MRCS that year as well, just because there was that much time nice. to do it. Um, so it, it worked out really well, actually, and I ended up um, getting... I ended up getting a job, I guess, closer to where I live, whereas before I don't think I would have been able, I, I would have had that because I wouldn't have ranked as highly as I did. Fair. And that's quite important, isn't it? The ranking system's a real um, difficulty, one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? I think CST more than, well, SD3 is also difficult from what I've heard anyway, because I haven't actually been through it like you have, but, um, but I've heard that at least when you get a certain region everyone sort of gets muddled around the region whereas in in terms of like jobs and stuff um in cst you have to rank the region and then within the region you get a certain set of hospitals and those are your rotations and stuff i, I don't know if it's similar for you is that right because i only you know sort of what northwest did but um yeah so that that's exactly it so for um once you get into a deanery you then rank the hospital within that deanery and then you're allocated uh where where you're you're allocated based on how well you did in terms of your scoring um so that's how i ended up with kss kent Surrey sussex for the core training and then just to answer nice. your question with sd3 it's slightly different in that um you rank the regions um <laughs> and then you're usually placed within a hot uh, usually rotate around the hospitals within that region once you're allocated one um so just just to clarify a bit more, um, so London itself is split into a few different regions. So I'm part of the Percival Pot Training Rotation, which is uh, North Central and East London. And so mm -hmm. I could really be placed in any of the hospitals within that training rotation. Um, right. So we're not really ranking the hospitals per se, but ranking the regions when it comes to SC3. Yeah. Okay. And Percival Potts uh, rotation is a pretty big deal as well, isn't it, in orthopedics? So congratulations for smashing that one. That, that's amazing. Um, oh, thank you. How how sort of uh, you know how did you get to that point of uh, getting onto it? I know it's the application process and everything, but you know what? Say if someone's sort of listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, what, I want to give that a go. Um, what would you 
advise do you have any kind of top tips or anything like that of how you personally sort of got to that point yeah so i i actually didn't realize how big a deal all of the different deaneries were and how important it was um i was kind of basing all of my decisions uh on geographic location but then because there are a few different um training rotations within that one region north central and east uh that's when i realized actually this uh, i should pay attention to what all of these different um, training rotations are so it's Percival Potts and then you've got the Royal London rotation and a few others so um, at the time there wasn't really a central place where you could go to find out about all of these different deaneries so I'd um, what, I, what I'd done is actually just emailed um, someone who I know is really big in education um, and is involved in all of the big trauma and orthopedic courses in AO, Lisa Hadfield-Law, which uh, if you've been to anything oh, yeah, orthopedic yeah. related, you would have heard of her. Um, but I just sent her an email <laughs> asking her, you know, I'm really lost about, um, in terms of which deanery to pick. Uh, do you have any suggestions on who I should speak to? And so she gave me a kind of list of people who would uh who you know one person from each kind of deanery and then um the other way I found out about them was they've got a list of trainees on each of their websites too and so I just contacted Uh one from each and then just spoke to them and tried to find out what I'd liked about each one so I mean I guess there are a few things to consider it's not just geography which was one of the important things for me but also I you know the academic network um I mean, Percival Potts is quite big on um, networking and when it comes to fellowships, how well is your TPD connected with people who um, are people around the world and where what you'd want to do later on in life and how much they might be able to help you. That was a big one. And also how much say you have in where, which hospitals you're based in, because a lot of those deaneries are quite big. Um, and, you know, if you don't want to be too far away from home for whatever reason, you know having a good relationship with your tpd or having um, a good amount of say in uh which hospitals you want to be in for the next five years that's quite important too so i guess those are all questions i would keep in mind for or for when you're applying to sc3 and looking to which um training rotation you want to be a part of okay that's really really useful thank you um in terms of sort of just to clarify what these rotation signify it's it, you have to be a certain sort of top percentage in the country don't you to to get onto these rotations is that right they're extremely competitive so yeah a lot a lot of them are i think most of the london ones are quite competitive and um people they, they are competitive because people rank them highly and so that's why that's why they are competitive um so personal pots a lot of people want to be a part of that one a lot of people rank it highly and that's why it's perceived as more difficult to get into if you've ranked well then it's not really much of an issue um but i think you just have to be sure whether it's the right place for you or not and so i think that comes with speaking to people but also what what there wasn't when i was applying which there is now is something called witch deanery if you google that um maybe put a tno next to it um then they've made a website that actually um breaks down all of the deaneries in the uk and tells you about the pros and cons of each one which i think was amazing and i wish i'd had it when i was applying but i I definitely don't regret my decision at all i think i'm part of a really good training rotation that's amazing and and it's it's actually really handy to hear about the wish deanery um thanks for that that's uh yeah that's really really cool um 
so sort of what's the benefit would you say of of being in the personal parts because you know you say you're you're happy with it and that's 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 brilliant so it must be you know it must be working out in that sense yeah so i think it's the fact that everyone's quite welcoming or once you're part of a training rotation like personal pots i I can't speak to what others are like but once i joined it also it it just feels like you're part of this big family the sd8s and um anyone above you uh automatically comes in asks you how you're doing what you want to get out of the rotation tries to help you as much as possible um you know we've got a big whatsapp group where we're always um trying to find out who's in the next uh hospital you're going to be at so you always have someone to ask about what the system is like etc um our tpd is great as well mr achan he's very supportive um he has a meeting with you as you start sd3 asks you about your aspirations tries to guide you as much as possible as well um and i know a lot of the more senior registrars have found him really useful for when it comes to applying for fellowships and having that kind of support is just completely invaluable um so there is also a big annual general meeting that happens um, or a big scientific academic meeting that happens organised by the Percival Pot Committee every year, which um, unfortunately last year didn't happen because of COVID, but um, I'm yet to go to the one that's going to happen in November and I've heard it, great things about it. It's, it's a great chance to network and meet new people, um, big names in orthopaedics and um, also present work which is great and to hear about other people's research and ideas too that sounds fantastic it sounds really really exciting um and it sounds like it, it offers you a lot more than just you know being a training program because yeah training's fairly multifaceted isn't, isn't it but i think sometimes it can be restricted to just how much theater time or something that you get but it sounds like it goes above and beyond that um which is really really yeah. cool yeah definitely um, i mean there's just so much advice out there like and you've got so many people to ask um whereas i think you you don't really get that unless you're part of the big rotation like this one yeah okay um so yeah i suppose there's some something to bear in mind when when you know if someone's listening to this thinking that they're in the midst of or thinking about where in london to go or what to go for um then that's that's really really useful thank you um so I suppose you know it, it's sort of interesting to to see you know what what made you pick um orthopedics in the first place what's kind of stood out about it for you in particular for, for me i think it was just being able to see how much these conditions were affecting people in terms of their work and um hobbies life in general and uh what what the potential trauma and orthopedic surgery had to get these people back to what they like to do and the results you could see complete or almost instantaneously like in the operating theater but also with those images pre-op post-op um but also then in clinics afterwards you'd you know something someone couldn't do before they could now do and the difference that that kind of immediate difference is just really satisfying I think that I think I'd always kind of lost a little bit of patience with um trying to see um like I always felt that medicine was it required a lot of patience and was a little bit slower paced uh, whereas <laughs> for me <laughs> um, yeah obviously um, 
you know, we we can't. I can't even begin to describe how how much medicine is done for everyone. And so I, I, you know, I'm not berating it at all. But for me, I just liked seeing that instant, um, mm. that kind of instant change for people. Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, it's something that I can I can sort of identify with as well. I know what you mean. It's um, it's that I, I think my personal sort of take on it would be it I can fix it, and you know, it's, it's that simplistic yeah. kind of mindset that <laughs> some people criticise maybe, but um, in all honesty, I sort of like it. It it's not convoluted. It's not complicated. Well, it can be complex, but it's not um, complicated by uh, a long um, process of changing this changing that tinkering with that tinkering with this and worrying about lots of elements is kind of just you know a broken hip it comes in and you fix it and provided things go well and the patient isn't really sick to begin with or afterwards then you've you've, you've restored their mobility it's, it's just phenomenal um so I, I hear what you're saying it's it's definitely um something i can identify with as well yeah and it's quite <laughs> exciting as well um yeah yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely loads of complex orthopedic stuff going on out there. And I, I think that's great as well and, and really interesting to see. But I guess when it comes down to the real orthopedics bread and butter, um, it is it is that simple. It is, you know, this is broken and we fix it and it gets better. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and the toys as well are fairly, fairly, uh, you know, exciting as well. You know, all the, all the kit, all the shiny stuff um even though it sounds as trivial trivial as it sounds it does uh yeah it, it's exciting i think um yeah the, you know when they're opening that new meccano set <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i actually got involved with loads of um the robotic stuff that was going on um which oh, nice. actually they've only um they've you know the maker robot that uh they yeah that had come up it it had come up on the news recently as well i was like oh i remember yeah. working with that so it was actually called the aquabot when i was working on it in uh with it in imperial and it was a part oh. of my bsc project um so you know i i absolutely get that with the toys and being really into that as well it's a great part of orthopedics absolutely yeah no it completely completely agree um now you've probably been asked this kind of this question already um in you know previous interviews that you've done or, or anything but how what what is it like working as a woman in in orthopedics um simply because you know with this with this specialty it's been um traditionally uh and and wrongly a, a sort of um an old boys club and and quite quite laddish is the reputation that it has how have you actually found working and have you ever encountered any problems or anything so i think uh, um when i was actually telling people that i wanted to do orthopedics so you know from medical school onwards i did get a lot of people telling me um this may not be the right career choice for you just because of the stereotypes that are out there about the specialty um but I I always found that it's better not to listen to other people and just go out and find out about these things yourself. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. And so whenever I'd go into theatre with an orthopaedic surgeon, I never actually had um, any bad encounters with the surgeons that were there. And like I was saying before, I did end up working in a lot of district general hospitals to begin with. I was never really a part of a big trauma centre in, in the middle of London where I would be exposed to a great a greater variety of the types of orthopaedic surgeons that are out there. So um, district general hospitals, I found, 
they were mostly male consultants, so very few female trainees. Um, but it was completely different once I came to the Royal London and I saw just how many women there were in the department. And that was great. It was great to see. Um, so, you know, I would I would just, um, for any other females out there who want to do orthopaedics, you know, don't let other people put you off is what I would say because there, there are plenty of people who are, who feel like they should and I think that it, it comes from almost like a protective place they they want to protect you from being bullied or harassed in those situations but I um and you know that it it does happen because there is so much work out there and so I wouldn't say that it doesn't happen because there are there are all of these papers coming out about um you know the percentage of people who are experiencing these things within their placements it's not something that i've experienced within orthopedics itself um mm. to a great extent uh, i feel like i've also almost developed a bit of a thicker skin though because of it um so maybe things that um the things that should should trouble me perhaps don't um so i would say that as well but really Generally, um, within orthopaedics itself, I've found that the environment has, has been really supportive. There have only ever been a few places um, that have told me that this might not be a good specialty for you. And that those those people or places have, have been out of, outside of orthopaedics itself. OK, that's that's interesting. Um, and it's really inspiring to hear kind of your your take on that. Um, and also good to hear that you've not really. Um, faced huge amounts of um of you know awful discrimination in the workplace itself in in orthopedics but obviously you have mentioned that people have said or tried to dissuade you from doing it um what were their reasons just out of interest was it was it just you know oh it's you you said you said about protectiveness but was was there anything other than that or yeah so i mean it was um you know it was things like do you feel like you're strong enough to do it because it is one of those specialties that are associated with you know heavy manual skills yeah, and so that's why yeah so that's why people are concerned for whether or not you'd be able to do it but mm. the other thing is um you know work-life balance having a family um being married having children um that balancing that with a surgical career a lot of people have tried to dissuade me from doing it for that reason and i i don't think especially in the especially with all the support you have available now like with part-time mm. working and um we are quite protected with um with you know our rights um as women in the workplace um and maternity leave and and because of that i think people are better in what they to you um so I don't know if I'm being clear but I remember a lot of the female consultants I was speaking to about this kind of thing would say uh, would tell me these horrific stories about when um they'd become pregnant during their training rotations and this is a few decades ago that their consultants would you know say things like how could you have become pregnant during this rotation you know you have to Gosh. be at work all the time and um mm. you know I just I I don't feel like anyone could really say that in I mean I might be wrong but I would uh, I would feel like we've kind of moved past that and I think it it'd be very hard for someone to get away with saying something like that now yeah yeah and 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 I, and I think it's 
yeah you're completely right it'd be hard to get away with it and i think also you'd, you'd sort of have maybe you know find more strength in sort of saying no because there have been so many instances of people saying you you know it's completely appropriate inappropriate to say that in the first place you can say no and then instead of feeling like um i can't speak up there's a bit more what well, I, I mean i'm just sort of guessing from social media and things that i've seen but there's there's more room to voice your opinion and say i don't think that was right to say that um and and i think there's it seems like there's more of a culture accepting culture around that yeah definitely i think it's it's really been helped with um things like speak up ortho and hammer it out and all of these great initiatives yeah i was gonna mention yeah yeah so i i I think that we're we are generally moving in the right direction and i think that has just come from people telling us their stories and so I, I feel like I'm quite lucky to have joined orthopedics at a time like this as opposed to maybe a few decades ago where I can definitely see how it was a lot worse and you know that 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 would have put me off I think and I, I don't know if I would have continued doing orthopedics if I had been training in that time period I, I don't know I can't say but I, I definitely feel lucky to be a trainee now. How have you found balancing everything? Um, and this is also just from my own perspective. When you get to yeah. reg level in orthopedics, um, you know, you, you, you said you're married and and you know your family life and everything like that. What's the balance like um, as a life as an you know as an orthopedic reg? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is so much. Um, I don't know why, but there is so much emphasis on women being. Uh, the only people who have this burden of a work-life balance but that's completely not true I mean you know if I'm married like there are men out there who are also married who (laughs) you know who have have commitments too and so I think it's always it's unfair it's unfair on men I feel that they're not expected to try and also have some time outside of work too um and you know that it is okay to be asking that question and trying to find out how to do it. Um, I, and I, I think that um, it is very doable, the whole work-life balance thing. And um, mm-hmm. there are sometimes it it can be difficult. And I'd say that that's when you're trying to do things outside of work, and that those things will always be there with the surgical career. You will always be trying to do extra audits and publications, presentations, and this is all part of CV building and, and mm-hmm. things for your portfolio that you will always need in preparation for CCT so that you can come out on the other side and be a consultant. Um, but I think that if you can try and organise those things for zero days and keep your um, weekends and evenings as free as possible I think it is mm. I think you are able to find a good balance because I think it's easier as a registrar than a core trainee especially if you're part of a hospital where you do have a full cohort of trainees as well um, and the rota is well organized you do sometimes end up with clinics um, that are only half a day or you get admin sessions in a week or you get zero days here and there and so it's easy to schedule all of those extra things that you need to be doing um, outside of work within those spaces and so that you have your evenings or weekends free Um, it does encroach a little bit on that free time Um, so it's just I mean it's I think it is just part of life and people accept it but um, I think if you're I think if you're kind of I think you do build 
a lot of discipline, especially as you go through um, from medical school right up to uh, core surgical training. I mean, you're so used to doing it. Um, you do become quite disciplined and you have uh, really good time management skills already um you know you you can be really productive in an hour if you really put your mind to to it and take away all of those distractions so even if it is going into that free time in an hour you just say okay i'm going to get this done and then i won't look at it again and then i've got all of the rest of my evening free to do whatever i want um and i think it's really important to do that and be strict with yourself and not overwork otherwise you just end up getting burnt out and it's happened to me a lot um during foundation training and core surgical training and so I promised myself I wouldn't let it take over my life too much and I think if you keep that promise to yourself you're generally okay it sounds really healthy actually doing it that way um and I think your um tip about efficiencies kind of efficiency really resonates um with well with what I've thought about but also the the other advice that i've had in the in the past where it's it's kind of it's it's not about how hard you work it's about how smart you work and also avoiding burnout is um you know it's about um balancing everything um and i i have at times felt like oh but even if i try and balance everything it just seems to always fall out of balance like there's no such thing as work-life balance but then at the same time i think it's also um kind of as, as you said it, it it's a almost part and parcel of core course surgical training that it, it is intense and afterwards depending on where you go um things may settle down a little bit which i'm looking forward to at least anyway <laughs> yeah i mean they do because the thing is you there isn't a mad rush to get all of those points um like there is with core surgical training um so you know you don't have to get as many points as possible within a two-year period you do have between sc3 to sc8 um i think i'm just trying to get a lot of it done out of the way now um but a lot of people spread that out over the course of the six years and and i think because you are able to do that it's definitely not as stressful as it has been over the last um, year, a few years building up to that SC3 application and there's definitely a way to do it I think the, I think one system that's worked really well for me this year actually is that mm. I've kind of had um, in my mind these these blocks of time so I'll have 15 minutes a half an hour block and then an hour block and then I'll I'll put tasks into each of those blocks so I'm doing this really subconsciously um, but I having thought about it just now I, I do do this quite often so 15 minutes in the day when you're waiting for your patient to come in um, to theatre after being sent for you know you can do all of the small tasks like answering emails and texts that would otherwise waste your time when you've got big uh, a big amount of a larger amount of time available to you um, yeah. so then if you've got the little things out of the way you can then focus on medium-sized tasks and larger tasks for the half an hour and an hour so you know if you need to be writing up a paper you can do mm. it in that hour later and then do it you know continue on it in the, in the second hour that you've got on another day um, so I think that's something that's worked well for me and hopefully you know anyone listening to this if maybe if you give that a go that might work well for you too that's fantastic that's a really really good tip actually um it's just sort of using that time productively but also planning what that time is going to be used for isn't it because i think there's so many times where you could just be i don't know on instagram just scrolling through just being oh 15 minutes all oh, this wait is boring and stuff but but using that time um to do something useful that that would otherwise 
take up another time slot is is really really sound advice um yeah because i mean what i used to do is just have like three hours um put aside mm. for for one thing to do and i just realized it it was really unproductive like your, your brain's not fully in it for that entire yeah. three hours and you you end up like you said like scrolling on instagram for half of it um and it's it just feels like you've you've kind of wasted that time because um it was time you could have been using to have fun or do something less boring than just sitting there um being unpro- unproductive or procrastinating um yeah. so yeah i i think those have definitely helped those little blocks of time so um, you, you sort of you mentioned about uh, burnout uh, a few minutes ago. Um, I, I'm sort of interested to find out how did you deal with that because that's not an uncommon um, phenomenon, isn't it, in in medicine? Um, and particularly, I've only got the experience of wanting to do surgery and um, and the amount of work that's required and the stress that it can generate is just you know at times I've been like this is this is mad. Um, how did you personally kind of work through those hurdles yourself? So I think the biggest time for me was at the end of F2. I had just finished um, A&E as a rotation, which I think for anyone who's done it is, is <laughs> um, completely shattering because you, your your mind and body just never get used to one, um, one time uh because it's you know you go from days to nights to twilights to and that in itself is tiring and just really grueling on your body but um Mm. then also trying to I think I just tried to fit in too much and like I was still trying to do loads of CV building things thinking that I was going to apply for core surgical training that year um and so was also trying to plan a wedding at the same time and it just felt like I (laughs) I wasn't doing well at anything um so I think I definitely just taken on too much like both in both at work and also outside of work which Mm. was um you know and you kind of just do have to take a step back and so it was I was I always blame my husband for making me take that year out because I was like oh well you just never decided whether you're gonna stay there or come back um but actually you know what I'm just I'm so thankful because if I had gone straight into core surgical training I think it would have Mm. just become a lot worse and been even more unproductive and like you know doing the MRCS again and again uh because I did fail it the first couple of times because I had just taken on so much and actually taking a step out doing the f3 year having a slower Mm -hmm. pace of life and actually just enjoying um working and being at home and um taking it slower it just made me Mm -hmm. realize why i liked medicine and surgery again whereas it's very easy to forget that when you're completely stressed out about everything that you need to do um so uh, for me yeah burnout at the end of f2 and then my my solution though it was forced upon me and I'm I'm very grateful was that year out um doing the F3 year yeah it, it, it sounds like it came at a good time then in that case <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> yeah gosh and, and all the things that you were just saying about that you were that you were juggling it I, I, I mean a wedding at the same time as all of that it just sounds like a, a hell of a oh, yeah. task so <laughs> honestly <laughs> you know my it was it was my mom and sister who ended up doing everything because I was never available to go to do anything because I was always on nights or something I think the only <laughs> thing I actually life. went out to do 
I know, right? Like the only thing I actually went out to do was get my wedding dress and then like poor, my poor sister, she did it everything else. Um, but it was amazing. Um, she just knows me really well, so it worked out. But, you know, that, that yeah. shouldn't happen. Um, you know, you should be able to be there for your wedding planning and sort things out. Um, and so I, I think that... I think that is, like I said, everything's very doable. I just don't think I managed my time then very well. And so I've learned, I've learned big lessons from that one year. Yeah. Okay. And it's kind of like, develop, I suppose, in a way, I suppose when you hit that point where you're, where you, you, you have that challenge, you make certain improvements. It's like a quality improvement project on yourself, isn't it? And then you kind of get to that point where you, yeah. you sort of find those <laughs> solutions and those little interventions, and then you um, find, you know, the next time, if things get tough then then you, you you can sort of navigate through and then another thing comes up and then you sort of work work your way around that um but yeah. it's it's really interesting about that kind of just being a bit more efficient with your time and things um sounds like it's it's been quite a, a bit of a winner of a solution sort of thing yeah it's definitely and you know what I think we're we always get told to be reflecting on ourselves but and that's why we hate doing it but actually if you if you do it in a less structured way like not a work-based assessment or anything for your portfolio if you just do it for yourself and say okay you know what I've had a really bad day or a really bad year like what do I what should I be doing differently that helps yeah. so much and just talking to people about it as well um that helps that helps a great deal yeah, it's funny how it's actually a useful task to do, isn't it? It is useful. We just hate doing it because we're forced to do it. So much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, that's that's so true. And um, and so and uh, sort of again, uh, some things that I've I've thought about in the past. Um, but has has uh, doing surgery ever? Um, delayed certain life plans or or made you think? You know, when am I going to have I mean, I'm, I'm 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 guessing this is a massive presumption that you may be thinking of having children at some point in the future or something. But um, you know, because it's something that I've thought about. I'm like, when does this factor into into like a surgical career? Um, how's that sort of? Have you ever thought about that? And how, how have you sort of planned that in in your mind, if if at all? Yeah. So I mean, just having kids has just been one of the. Um biggest things on my mind not so much like earlier in my career but definitely like later or now even um mm. just because uh you know you you do get to a certain age or a certain point in your life and you think yes I want kids I have always wanted a family and kids but um you know you always think at 21 it's fine I can just I don't yeah. need to think about this right now <laughs> and then you get close to 30 and then you think actually maybe I should start thinking about this now <laughs> um <laughs> and uh the thing is, you always feel very um, nervous. Well, I know I did. I've always felt really nervous asking people for their advice about this because I always felt like, you know, I hope I'm not being too nosy and asking people. Um, but it is so important, especially if it's something yeah. that you really want to have. You want to see other people who have done it and you want to know how they did it. Um yeah. So that so that you can follow it if if it's worked well for them, or you can learn from what they wanted to do differently. And so I I did end up speaking to loads of people about it, and which is why I think you know even for um, even for men in orthopedics they might not always feel comfortable asking people that question, um, but you know if you can if you 
like you know I, I love being part of the Percival pot rotation for one of those reasons too is that you do become very good friends with people um to a level where you can ask very personal questions and they do tell you about their lives and how they've made it work um so you know the people I asked um it seemed like there is never a right time and you should just do it when you want to. Um, so I think that's that's the biggest piece of advice I'd got, but also um, not waiting too late because I know a lot of consult female consultants who kind of waited until they'd passed their CCT um, and waited till later in life and said, well, I, I wanted more children but could only have one um, okay. because of, you know, biology and, um, you know, female reproductivity etc um so you know um it's forced them to make decisions that they you know that they may not necessarily have wanted to make and that that was a sacrifice they made for their career um and some of them don't mind that other people would have done things differently if uh, they had been able to and so i always um i always think that there's not a right time and you know i know lots of women who have um, had children in foundation training or core surgical training and then gone on to SC3 and um, you know it just takes a little bit longer but there, there's no problem with that at all especially if you want a bigger family um, starting early is always something people would suggest doing so yeah. you just do what's right for you um, I don't I, th- I always well I never used to think this I always co- was really sort of career orientated but now that I'm a little bit older I always feel like actually work should fit around your life it shouldn't really be the other way around that's interesting yeah it's kind of like a shift in philosophy isn't it because things as people always say this like priorities change and I was like yeah but you know what do you mean priorities change I'm sure they do but it's not going to happen to me kind of thing and then and then you're right it's your perspective kind of just alters that a little bit and um and yeah, I, I, I think I can um, empathize with that as well. Yeah. Thinking that. Uh, oh, the priorities and... change. Yeah. Priorities change is like a big thing I heard throughout my life. And when people <laughs> would say it to me um, when I was younger, like foundation core surgical training, it was, mm. it was like, you know, I was saying earlier, it was those protective people who were like, oh, but don't you want a family and things like that? Mm. They say, oh, but your priorities will be different then. And I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Let me just carry on. And if I struggle later, I'll just, you know, I'll do something else. But yeah. actually, I've seen so many people do this and have families uh, and be great mm. orthopedic surgeons. And I think, you know, it, you are able to do it. So why not? Let's just have it all. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's it, isn't it? It's it's having it all because for 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 donkeys years, it's been um, make a choice between the two. You know, you you're either going to be a parent or you're going to be a, a surgeon. There's there's no in between. Um, but yeah. it's it's refreshing to see to see the the change, and it, it's odd actually because I think you know the the underlying stereotype that that had always been driving the conversation was oh, if you're a woman, then you know if you want a family you can't do this like we've been talking about but um but yeah and and you know how you've been saying as well men are sort of thinking about this kind of thing as well and uh, and I certainly have been um and it's something that I've tried to talk about and get ideas about and ask people about but weirdly enough I don't think there's as much of a conversation um 
open there's not as much as an open conversation with uh guys about um you know less than full-time training uh or um pat leave or just taking time out in general for family matters um work-life balance all these things i've actually struggled to to find out um apart from the odd conversation that i've had with somebody who's really open and is like no this this is possible you know of course you can do it um and our conversation just now has unveiled a whole load of things that i'm curious about certainly um but um but it's so interesting how it's just it, it is such a such a thing isn't it that surgery you you think you have to choose between one one or the other but you can have them together um it's quite powerful yeah definitely yeah yeah i i completely agree and you know that really resonates with me in that um you know there are so many people you can speak to as a woman um looking looking into things like maternity leave and pay and um working around that but that conversation isn't really there there for men um like i i know that a lot of my male colleagues are now having kids but then you know sometimes people don't understand why they're not there if their child is sick and um it's not really fair because you know Mm. i'm sure as a father you would also want that some time with your child too right um so i think that is i think that's probably the next step in in what we're doing is now now that we've opened up the conversation women and women having a good work-life balance and work making that easier for them um you know men should also have that conversation opened up to them and have those opportunities to to start discussing uh, well we also want more time with our families what can we do so um what, what's what's kind of what's next then for you in terms of your um you know surgical career and uh, and life alongside i suppose because we've been talking about both and you know putting them parallel to each other yeah so i mean at the moment what happens is between sd3 and 8 you end up rotating um every six months to a different subspecialty within orthopedics so i've done uh hands and upper limb and pediatrics so far for sc3 i'll be moving to foot and ankle for st4 um i am staying at the same hospital but often as part of the rotation you're you are moving hospitals and that's likely to happen soon as well um so that continues but then also like i was saying you do have to kind of keep um you you do kind of have to keep up with teaching and uh research audits alongside that just to keep yourself um ready for arcps and um eventually working towards cct and becoming a consultant so that will always be there but i think it's really just about learning to well, not learning, but continuing to um, do all of that, but alongside um, spending time with family. So my own family, in-laws, we hope to have our own children one day. And really, you know, I'm not in a huge rush to become a consultant. And so um, we've always said when kids happen, they happen. And so we wouldn't necessarily delay it happening to to a point of me becoming a consultant. Um yeah but then it will come with its own challenges and so uh 
I think my strategy will always be to accept help whenever it's there. And I know that we've got really supportive parents on both sides, my husband's and mine, and um, they're they're all hands on deck. And I think that's really important. So, you know, mm. whether that's your own, whether it's grandparents or whether it's um, childcare, you, you know, you won't always be there, especially if you want to have a job at the same time. Um, and it's just kind of being um, accepting of that. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, I'll have to play it by ear because, you know, I completely don't have any experience of it firsthand at all. But, um, you know, I, I'm always willing to ask people questions and ask for advice. And I've got plenty of people there. So I think building that support network is really important. And if you haven't got that already, that's the advice I'd give anyone else is try and build up um, the people around you um, in at work and both outside of work who who can help you along the way especially if you do want to start expanding your life outside of work that's really good advice yeah um and sort of the the, the aspect of building a network at work as well is 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 really interesting have you actually done that already or so you not don't have children right now but have you done that already in terms of kind of talking to other regs and and things like that and and i'm presuming an element of shared childcare would probably come into this is that right yeah so i mean at work i i kind of already know lots of female trainees who have got children and so mm-hmm. i have got lots of people i can ask questions um i know lots of consultants who have also also female consultants who have got children and so they're very helpful and in terms of giving advice and um mm. also i know i know the people that have gone on to uh, that are pregnant at work have received really great support from hr and their managers and um again I, i'd go back to saying i don't think it it's as difficult as it used to be and so i do really feel lucky to be part of um training now um so i do feel like i've, I've got really supportive network at work for whenever it happens and then um you know they'd be very happy with part-time training as well and things like that and then same at home I think it's it's fine we've got like a we've got lots of family around my family in central London um but equally my husband's family's not too far away so yeah um I think I've I've always kind of tried to have very supportive people around me anyway because those are the the only things that really help especially when you're getting a lot of negative comments and people trying to put you off orthopedics so um even as an f1 if um if people were telling me not to do the specialty i would go back to mentors that i'd already spoken to about the specialty and you know say this is what i've been told about the specialty do you think it's true and they might say yes or no and but then there'd always be a but like you know yes it is a bit busy specialty but you can do it if you organize your time things like that um yeah. so you know i'd always have someone uh wiser than you to ask questions um yeah so yeah always have that mentor um at work or you know they don't have to be at work it's just someone that you've worked with before or have come across before who's happy to talk to you about things and i've always been lucky to have that and then um same at home um, you know, if there's a, if there's anything that's worrying me, I, I'll always just be on the phone to my mom or something, and I feel better <laughs> immediately after. So um, I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. I think I think having that support is really really um, really powerful, isn't it? And and I can definitely 
identify with that in terms of yeah <laughs> just jumping on the phone to my mum or um yeah mile and a half and just being like no, all this <laughs> random crap happened and yeah just ranting it out or just asking for support and stuff so i, I feel you yeah, yeah definitely so Zara we've, we've talked about a, a ton of stuff and it's been absolutely amazing um so thank you for your time um I've got some sort of quick fire questions um one of which I've actually changed from previous podcasts so um if you had uh one superpower what would it be oh um I, w- I would say uh flying because I've always I always thought about that like watching all of these things um and I always thought it'd be so easy to go on holiday without having to sit in a plane and just fly to where you want to <laughs> <Just> be. <fly. laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, flying. I know it's not a realistic one, but there you go. No, but that's awesome. That's a really good one. That's a good choice. Um, <laughs> and what's your... So this is more real life. What's your superpower? What would you say is your, you know, uh, biggest asset? Um... I would say, I mean, I know this goes against what I was saying earlier, um, because I said that I I don't have the patience for medicine, but actually <laughs> otherwise I think I'm quite patient with things. Um, it takes a lot to annoy me. So if I, if I do become annoyed, you know, it's, you know, you've done something really, really bad. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, no, I think, yeah, I think it takes a lot to annoy me. So I think patience is probably one of them yeah that's that's a good one patience is a virtue definitely um so um what um three things would you take if you were desert would take would you like to take with you if you were deserted on a um on an island um or on the moon wherever uh i know there's going to be no wi-fi there that's the thing um <laughs> so <laughs> so um i mean i probably would have downloaded some netflix shows on my phone beforehand so if my phone and downloaded netflix stuff would be on there i'm just i'm completely addicted to tv if anyone knows me would say would agree <laughs> um, so yeah that would be that would be one i think the other one would be um i mean could this be people or is it just things it, it's it's things yeah 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 things okay um so yeah, my phone, what else? I think I'd be pretty happy with just that. Maybe just, um, I don't know what else, I guess, oh, something food related, like unlimited sweets uh, nice. would be another one. <laughs> um, and no and diabetes else. at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just, you know, not having to, put, not, not putting any weight on after that. But I guess if you're on a deserted island, um, it'd be hard to put on loads of weight, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, and then third thing would probably be um maybe just uh oh i've got like a collection of harry potter books that i'm really attached to so i'd probably take those with me like a few of them are first edition as well because i actually stood in the queue to get the last uh the sixth and last one um (laughs) so yeah (laughs) they're they're like my prized possessions so i'd probably take those with me yeah i think you probably wouldn't want to lose them anyway if they're first edition so so yeah keep keep those safe they're pretty priceless yeah Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely um and last one is when if you look back at uh sort of your own uh trajectory up to now and um and there you know if there's if there's a 
period in your life up until this point which has been really challenging um what would you say to your former self in that situation looking back um you know with the power of hindsight um for resilience i, I think mean. <laughs> yeah i mean i think that i think there were lots of times where i was I, I think i'd come back to that point um i was telling you about at the end of f2 where there's just a lot of things going on and i was always really tired um stressed burnt out um so I, I think i would just say just take a step back take a break and just um things will get better i think that's that's the point i'd go back to myself on i think it's really easy to feel that way especially if you're about to um start applying for surgery there's just so much stuff to do especially if you start looking at that application form it's quite overwhelming yeah, and i think definitely. uh um I, I don't think i paced myself very well at that point uh, it's easy to do in medical school, but as soon as you've got a full-time job as well, it, it suddenly becomes very difficult and it's a big step mm. up and you've really got to adjust um, in a big way and it's hard to do. So I think I would have done, I would have definitely tried to do it differently. Um, but that again, only comes from talking to wiser people. And as, at that point, I, I should have spoken to more people, I think. Yeah. Okay. That's really, really powerful. Um, and now you're that wise person. So, you you know, <laughs> people will be coming to you and you can advise that same thing like you have uh, today. So thank you. <laughs> I don't know how wise I am, but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely really happy to speak to people. Um, and, you know, if there's anyone listening to this, I'm on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm really happy to answer um, any questions you have. Uh, even if you think they're really personal or invasive, please go ahead. Because I, I, I always wish I'd had people to ask those questions to. And I, I was lucky enough to find them, actually. So um, I'm happy to be there for others in the same way. Fantastic. That's really, really great. Um, so where can we find you if, um, if you know, anyone does want to uh, ask a question or just, you know, follow you, see what you're doing, see what you're up to. Yeah, so I, um, it was at the start of SD3, I made this page. It's on Instagram at z.orthodiaries. Um, it's got a few things about um, a life and a day of an orthopedic surgeon on theatre days, clinic days, etc. It's also got a few things about applying to SD3, um, which I hope you will find useful. Um, but again, if you want to send me a message on there, that'd be great brilliant um zara thank you so much for talking to us today and uh hope it hope everything uh you know works out great thank you so much thank you to miss zara jaffrey and thank you to you for tuning into the medical memoirs podcast if you enjoyed this episode then please give the channel a follow and share this episode with your friends in the meantime, head over to vasudevzeva.com for insights into the world of surgery through my personal journal or follow at the Surgeon's Journal on Instagram to stay tuned with more journal posts, podcast episodes and general life in surgery. Thanks again and see you next time. <laughs>